This is day 48 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing Ruth chapter 4, and then we will go into 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 4. Lord God, you are our Redeemer. You are so close to us. We are your friends. We are your brothers and sisters. We are your slaves. And Lord, so many relationships that we have with you, Lord, but overall you are our King and you are our Lord. And that we would never forget that and that it would be the motivation behind everything we do and that would be the framework of our life. That everything would be done to please you and to satisfy you. Lord, please bless us with your presence as we go through your word and we just thank you for the beauty that's in it that you may bless us through the Holy Spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malan. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. 
May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom build the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which the Lord will give you by the young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashan, and to Nashan Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. Now there was a certain man from Ramathiam Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and her daughters, but to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, 
if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it came about, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Then the man Elkanah went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine, and brought them to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. She said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you. 
nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set the world on them. He keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king, and will exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his home at Ramah, but the boy ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod, and his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went down to their own home. The Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, Why do you do such things? 
the evil things that I hear from all these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor both with the Lord and with men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose them from all the tribes of Israel to be my priests, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to carry an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the fire offerings of the sons of Israel? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling, and honor your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling, in spite of all the good that I do for Israel, and an old man will not be in your house forever. Yet I will not cut off every man of yours from my altar, so that your eyes will fail from weeping and your soul grieve and all the increase of your house will die in the prime of life. This will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. On the same day, both of them will die. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. Everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and say, please assign me to one of the priest's offices so that I may eat a piece of bread. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, that the Lord called Samuel. And he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. 
but he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house, from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn on the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by any sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. He said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle, and camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? 
Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who sits above the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. As the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth resounded. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. The Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent, and the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Now a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and dust on his head. When he came, behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, eagerly watching, because his heart was trembling for the ark of God. So the man came to tell it in the city, and all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the noise of this commotion mean? Then the man came hurriedly and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety-eight years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. The man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, How did things go, my son? Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great slaughter among the people. And your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been taken. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate, and his neck was broken and he died, for he was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel forty years. Now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was pregnant and about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she kneeled down and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not be afraid, 
for you have given birth to a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she called the boy Ichabod, saying, The Lord has departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God was taken. All right, so let's finish Ruth first, and then we'll get into the interesting passage of Samuel that we read today. So starting with Ruth, Boaz kept up his end of the deal. He said he was going to go meet with this relative of his that was closer to Naomi than he was and to see if he was going to redeem the land that he was going to buy from Naomi, the inheritance that needed to be purchased from somebody. So the Redeemer said, yeah, I'll take it. But then Boaz said, well, there's only one condition. Uh, you can have the land and redeem it. It's yours. But just know this, that you're also going to have to marry Ruth. And the guy was like, well, you know what? I don't want it anymore. And at first you're like, what is wrong with you, man? After all this stuff about her being a woman of excellence and People everywhere know of her reputation of being a godly woman, and you refuse to have her? Well, he said that he did not want to jeopardize his own inheritance. So, in other words, what he's trying to say is, I don't want to take on Ruth and have kids with her because that would be a financial burden on me. I would be spending my money taking care of her when I should be saving up for my retirement or whatever he was thinking. But it was a financial issue. So he's like, you know what? You can have it. I go ahead and give it to you. And then that tradition is they take off the sandal, hand it over. It's, it's, it's symbolic of handing over the redemption to Boaz. And everyone witnessed it. Everyone agreed. And then they blessed the home of Boaz and Ruth. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Leah and Rachel, both of whom built the house of Israel. And then you just see all these wonderful blessings being added. And so Boaz redeemed the land as well as redeeming Ruth. And I'm sure Ruth was thrilled you don't see her reaction, but I can imagine she was very excited. And Naomi was obviously excited as well. Because if you recall, when she returned to Israel after losing her husband and her sons, that she said, don't call me Naomi, please. Call me Mara. And Mara is bitter in Hebrew. Just call me bitter, because that's what I am. Don't call me Naomi anymore. So you can see that her joy was restored now that she had a child that she could put on her lap, and the neighbors named him Obed. And what's so beautiful about this story is that this is the great-grandmother of King David, Ruth. Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents of King David. Their son, Obed, is King David's 
grandfather. And he's the father of Jesse. And so you, you see how this all works together, that these blessings that are given to Ruth and to Boaz for their future generations comes true in the form of David. And it's so beautiful to see God's keeping his promises and that he, he redeems his people for himself. And that is a beautiful backdrop that we have going into the book of Samuel. And it's going to stay with us for the first couple of chapters, as we saw. But then after that, it's going to go downhill from there. So we see a, a certain woman named Hannah. And Hannah is loved by her husband, but yet has a rival wife. So I guess this man has two wives, Hannah being one. And the other one was making fun of her because she was having kids and Hannah was not. And again, in those days, part of the value of a woman was that you would have a lot of children. And so if a woman was barren, she viewed herself as not being significant. And it's really sad when you see it through today's standards, but back then that was the principal uh, purpose of a woman was to multiply the name of the, the husband on the earth and to carry on the family line. And so there was no use of that with, with Hannah because she was not able to have kids. But you can see that Hannah is a godly woman. And she cared deeply about not only not wanting to get bullied by the rival wife, but she wanted to do good to the Lord. She wanted to be valued. She wanted to be significant. She wanted to be able to do something in the name of the Lord. And so she wept and prayed and earnestly pleaded with God that if you have any compassion on me, Lord, please give me a son, and I will dedicate him to you forever. And it also says that a razor shall never come to his head, which is the sign of a Nazarite. So this is another person who is being dedicated as a Nazarite from birth, before birth, in fact. So Samson's not the only one, it seems, and I forgot that one piece. So we have Samuel being the other. Now, the story with Eli is very amusing, especially when she's praying, you know, just her, her mouth is moving, but it's all in, internal praying. And he's like, well, why, what are you doing out here drinking? Woman, why are you drunk? You know, <laughs> that's an interesting way to introduce Eli. Because we're going to see that Eli is not the best example. He's not the most godly man who is priest at the time. And not only just not only him, but his sons are also very wicked men. And they're going to get what's coming to them here soon. So Hannah prays, and they give their sacrifice, and Hannah is able to conceive, and they give birth to Samuel. And she is pleased and she kept her promise. She, she was going to dedicate him to the Lord and he was going to serve the Lord through the temple. 
Now, her thing was that he can't go up to the temple yet until he's weaned. And typically, a, a child in those days was weaned at about three years old or so. So after he was weaned, then they went up and dedicated him to the Lord. And I, I can imagine that was very hard for her. Her only son that she gave to the Lord to work in the temple and to live there without her. I mean, that's hard. And so a three-year-old going and toddling around and helping out at the temple, I can imagine, was very interesting. But you see a beautiful song come from her in chapter two, and it's a beautiful piece of poetry. So much truth in what she's saying and so much good understanding of the character of God. And it's so something we should definitely sit down more and read things like this. Because this is this is the Lord that we deal with. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with him actions are weighed. So we understand that the Lord is great, absolutely. His infinite, invincible strength. But not only that, but he is also a God of justice. And she understood that. That she knows that God will judge the righteous and the wicked in their deeds. So that's so good to see. And it's only fitting that someone like her would be the mother of a prophet. Not only that, but it's almost as if she gives a little bit of prophecy here. It may be. I'm not sure. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them he will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. So we know that everything's going to fall into judgment. That hadn't been written yet, so that's interesting. And he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. So is she declaring a prophecy about the future king of Israel? Or is she talking about Jesus Christ? I'm not sure, because it's not clear. But it could go either way, I see. That he's going to exalt his Messiah, or that he is going to raise a king for Israel. Either way, it's amazing how she prophesied that. I just think it's super cute. Typical mother, right? In verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a boy wearing a linen ephod, and his mother would make him a little robe and bring it to him year after year as she came up to sacrifice. And I'm sure that was the best day of her life, was to go every year to, to go sacrifice and, and see her son, see how he's grown, and make him a little clothing for him and... <laughs> Uh, that's pretty cute. You can see motherly love there. Such a sweet thing. And Samuel was the oldest of other children. They had five other kids after Samuel. So that's pretty cool. Now you see Eli aware of what his sons are doing. 
and the Lord is going to repay him for his inaction. It's like he knows it's a problem, and he's telling them stop, but he's not really serious about it. He's not doing anything to correct the behavior here. He's identifying it's a problem, and I guess hoping that they'll figure it out themselves and stop, but he, as their father, is not holding his authority in his hand and enforcing it with them. Not only as a matter of obedience in, to your elder, but as the authority of the family. None of that was taken care of, so Eli just let it happen. And so you just see that with these two men, it was just getting worse and worse and worse. God was going to do something about it. And it mentions a man of God in, in verse 27. We don't, it doesn't have a name here, but it is a prophet of some kind that speaks the Lord's will and intent to Eli and curses his family. Now all his future generations are not going to have any old people. They're all going to die young. But he did not take away his original promise, which was that that family line would serve as high priest forever. That certainly was still going to happen, but there will be consequences for the evil that they've done. Now, when I was a kid in chapter 3, I, I re remember reading this story a lot. And it's it's it, at first it's a little silly, you know, where a little boy hears his a voice. And you, you see a progression here. You see the first time that he's called, it just says that the Lord called Samuel. And then he went to Eli and said, here I am. He's like, you called me. No, I didn't. Go back to bed. And then you see the Lord call again. And then at this time he says his name, Samuel. It's like, I know who you are. Do you hear my voice? And so he went into Eli and same thing happened. Go back to bed. And then the Lord called a third time. Whispers, I can imagine. And Eli's like, okay, this has got to be the Lord. So when he talks to you again, say this. And this term is something that should be happening when we pray as well. This should be the posture of our heart when we pray to the Lord. Speak, for your servant is listening. Prayer is a two-way communication. How often do we sit in prayer and just listen? The Lord is always speaking. He has plenty to say to us in our lives and the direction that we're to go, and what he thinks about us, and things he wants to instruct us on and teach us. But do we listen? Or do we simply just use our platform to complain? Or to just vent? But not get to know the Lord God himself as a person? Think about with friends, and with family, and with your spouse, you know. It's a two-way conversation. If you just monologue and talk somebody's ear off, they're not going to want to be around you that much. And that's not much of a friendship. But it requires a two-way communication. It requires discussion and reply. You know, back and forth of conversation. Do we have that with the Lord? And if not, this is the first step in that direction, 
is to recognize I need to shut my mouth and I just simply need to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening and be silent before the Lord. You may, it may surprise you what he has to say. But then you see in verse 10, the Lord came and stood. So now he revealed himself physically. He came and stood and called as at other times. And now this time he says, Samuel, Samuel. Very important why it's like this. Because it said before that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He was serving the Lord, but he did not yet know him intimately. He did not know him as his savior. And here he is making himself known in a very intimate way. Anytime in the Bible you see somebody's name repeated like this, Samuel, Samuel, it is a sign of intimacy of somebody that knows this person very well. The Lord knows Samuel very well, very intimately. And as we know from other parts of Scripture, he knows every hair on our head. He knows everything about us before we were created. He wrote it all down in a book, all the days that we we're going to have. He knows Samuel, and he is declaring to Samuel, I know you, and I'm. you are now going to know me. And the very first thing that young Samuel does as a prophet is hear the condemnation of Eli. I think that's very interesting that as a young boy, the first test of, pro of being a prophet he gets is hearing the judgment on Eli's family. So his first test was to take this message to Eli, and if he could communicate exactly what the Lord said and prophesy what is going to happen to Eli. So did he pass the test? Well, the next day, Eli said, hey, what did, what did God tell you? And Samuel's like, I don't want to tell him because it's not going to be good news. And Eli's like, don't hide anything, because if you hide anything, I hope the same thing happens to you, boy. And so Samuel's like, okay, I'll tell you everything. So he passed the test. And Eli's response was very plain. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. It's not that he agreed, but he understood at least, even though he was a not the best man for the job, he understood the Lord enough to where if the Lord wills it, it's going to happen. So why fight it? Why argue? It, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what you think. God is going to do as he pleases. And if he has declared this, he knew it was coming. He already knew it was coming. Because the man of God, that prophet before, had also told him that your, your family is going to be cursed. So this is not new information to him, but it was a confirmation that Eli's family was going to be affected this way. So he, he accepted that it's the Lord. Let him do what he wants. And so you see Samuel grow into a great man. And then you see a really sad part. We're starting to go downhill now. 
Philistines are still fighting against Israel at this time. And as we've seen in the book of Judges, that it has been an exchange of different nations taking over Israel over the last few hundred years. Now it is the Philistines' turn to fight them. And this isn't the first time. So they're losing a battle. And they're like, you know what? We need the Ark of the Covenant. If we bring out the Ark of the Covenant, God is in the Ark of the Covenant, and he's going to win this battle for us. And that was the reputation that the Ark of the Covenant had. They literally thought that God sat on the Ark of the Covenant like that was his earthly throne in a very literal sense, where they didn't think that he was everywhere and everything, and that he was omnipotent, omnipresent. He didn't, they didn't really understand that, and so they just thought that, hey, if we bring the ark out, God's just going to wipe all these people out, and we're going to win. And it is a form of idolatry. And to think that they can just manipulate God to do whatever they want, they're sorely mistaken. But that was the reputation that the Ark had, especially since, if you recall, it was the Ark of the Covenant that was used to part the Jordan so they could cross it, as well as it being a uh, part of the banner that when they marched into combat, the Ark was there to represent God, but not that God was the Ark itself. And so neither Israel nor the Philistines understood that. And so when the Ark came out, naturally, the Philistines freaked out. They're like, oh no, we're doomed. God's coming out here to fight for him. But what's very interesting is how they described God. They said, God has come into the camp. Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? So obviously they didn't understand the monotheism, the one God concept of the Israelite people. They thought it was a plethora of gods. These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues. They were super afraid, right? They didn't have a proper understanding of who they were dealing with, of course. But you would think at that point, it's like, all right, this is the Ark. We remember what Egypt had to go through. We should just back off. Is that what they do, though? No. They said, all right, well, take courage and be men. Let's go get them. We don't care. We're going to fight them anyway. Okay. And the Philistines defeated them easily. But why? I thought that God was for his people. Have you been reading the <laughs> with along with us? How often are these people following along with God's covenant? Didn't God clearly say that if they do not follow his covenant, that he will not be with them, that he will not support them? Wasn't that the theme of the whole book of Judges? That when they cried out to the Lord, he would certainly deliver them. But as soon as they, they left him, got off track, forgot about him, that he would allow this to happen. He would allow them to get conquered 
He would allow them to see how dependent they are on him. Time and 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 time again. And as prophesied, these two evil men, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed. The reports of the battle went back to Eli's ears. And he didn't really freak out that they were losing. He probably saw it coming because he knew that the people were unfaithful. He wasn't apparently surprised that his two sons died because he kind of knew that that was going to happen. They were cursed. But it was when they said that the Ark of the Covenant was taken, then he, you can imagine him in like a rocking chair, right? And that he was rocking in a rocking chair. He rocked too far, gasped at the sound of that, and broke his neck. And it says he was very heavy, so like, Imagine his fat. Why? Because they had grown fat on all those choice offerings, remember? But God still leaves a remnant. And it's through the person Ichabod. Now, the name Ichabod means no glory. And just like the woman said before she died, was the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God was taken. God has abandoned us. And that is the backdrop that we have for tomorrow. But it's not the end. And there is going to be plenty of good stuff that will come from this. Including one of my favorite chapters of God's humor. Of how he handles the statues of Dagon. It is a really fun read, and you not only do you see God's power in it, but you also see God's sense of humor in it as well. And I'm looking forward to reading that tomorrow. But until then, thank you for listening and coming along with me so far. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care, and God bless you.